Hello and welcome to a live Kerfaffy break on D program with Carrie Smith. This is still a relatively new channel. If it's your first time here, we'd appreciate if you like the show, hitting like, uh, sharing it if there's something in it you enjoy, and um, subscribing. Uh, we are almost at 10,000. That's amazing for a short amount of time. I'm really grateful for everybody who hit subscribe and has managed to stay subscribed because sometimes they unsubscribe people on YouTube. Um, uh, I have two guests today who you guys may have seen. I've had them on the show before. They were surprise drop-in guests. And I figured we should get them back and just to talk to them about what it is they do. I had the pleasure of meeting them at the Better Discourse Conference that's put on by uh, Myth Informed uh, here in Texas recently. Please welcome Dangerous Rhett. Hey, what's up? What up? Hi. Uh, Dangerous Rhett. I should say you go by Dangerous Rhett on Twitter, but your full the full name of your show is Dangerous Rhetoric. Yeah, we couldn't fit the full name on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter only caps you at so many. Uh, on IG, we could fit at Dangerous Rhetoric. The mm -hmm. whole thing fit. Yeah. I kind of... Because you have this cute little, well, when you look at it closely, it's it, you can see there's a, a Biden sniffing a cat and there's a dog there. That's your logo. Yeah. What every time I see it, you can't we well, can't really see it's it's not very clear. It just looks cute to me, and I kind of picture dangerous Rhett as as a person now. I think of Rhett. <laughs> like that's, that's a good point. Maybe like you know, Rhett is like a name we could have make an alternative character. Maybe the cat can be Rhett. <laughs> So those cartoons in our image are actually uh, NFTs. We're not really going to get into that on the show and what exactly that is, but they are a collection from a collection of NFTs called the Gutter Cat Gang. So we've been using the IP for those characters and kind of just fusing it with the show and using them as sort of like mascots for fun. You know, I, I photoshopped the sniffing Biden behind <laughs> the cat and I thought it was funny. So. Yeah, just, uh, my name's Brentley and this is Daniel. Dan. Brentley. And Daniel, yeah, we are. Why don't both you guys rhetoric? So, you're both dangerous rhetoric. Why don't you tell anyone who's not familiar with your channel yet just a little bit about? Well, tell me how you started doing it. I don't know who wants to go first. I guess I could go into that. So, I mean, Brett and I have always been very outspoken type people politically and about you know things that we see in the world that interest us. We were always like that throughout our lives, so it's not really unusual when I go and I think back that we ended up starting a podcast, especially together, because we always talk about these things together and we were constantly having conversations about these things. Um, fast forward, uh, lockdowns, right? The virus, mm -hmm. all that stuff. The country just sort of changes overnight. And Brent and I very early on saw that something was up with this. We were not trusting what was going on and we saw that there were going to be some really bad repercussions for these policies that we were seeing happening. We're in Manhattan right now. So we were in New York city when all the lockdowns started. I'm actually from New Jersey. I'm from Elizabeth, New Jersey. Brent is originally from Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And, you know, we were in the city when the lockdowns happened and we kind of saw things really start to deteriorate here. And we started to speak out. Um, and the more we spoke out and not just about the new normal stuff, but also about, the gender ideology stuff, right? The woke cult and all the things we were seeing in the quote unquote LGBT movement as gay men, we were also speaking out about that stuff as well and criticizing, you know, BLM and, th and things like that and some of the behavior of these groups. We started to get ostracized by friends. We were accused a couple times of dangerous rhetoric. 
And <laughs> when we decided to do the show and we were thinking of names, I was sitting with Brent and Brent's sister, Caitlin, and we were discussing this. And that came to my mind, you know, that people kept accusing us of dangerous rhetoric. And I was just, I was like, you know what? That's, that's the that's name. Great like, name for a show. I'm like, we're just, they keep calling us this. So we'll take that and we'll trademark it. And then anyone who gets labeled as dangerous rhetoric or anyone who's talking about something that the mainstream powers that be, we'll call them that, um, don't mm -hmm. like to be talked about, we will happily bring them on the show to uh, speak their dangerous to, rhetoric. Yeah. To talk about it. So yeah. what were you guys, were you always sort of critical of the mainstream narrative? Were you ever, uh, I was in the social justice world for about two decades. What about, what about you guys? How did you, did you, do you define yourself as liberals? Were you liberals oh, back then? I'll let Brent go first and then I'll talk about my mm -hmm. Background. So I've always leaned left. Um, I would, I've been always sort of like libertarian um, lefty with like torrents of my beliefs on the issues. But my whole thing is I have a very eclectic collection of political uh, beliefs and they don't, I don't really fit neatly into any one box, but I, I do on the whole tend to lean left. I used to call myself a progressive before that became a dirty word. Um, cause I was in, I, I, you know, I'd like progress and moving towards progress. Sounds and nice. I thought, you know, naive Brentley thought that once upon a time government could be a force for good. Um, and then, uh, I slowly got more and more cynical after nine 11. And, um, as I've aged and as the world has gone kind of crazy and the left has gone farther left, then I've just kind of, I, I really haven't changed that much except on, uh, the abortion issue, which is one where I've gone a little bit more conservative, um, which I would say is actually in reaction to a lot of the more extreme lefty beliefs when it comes to abortion. Um, but I was, I had a solo channel too on YouTube for uh, a long time. I started it in 2019. And the reason I started it, because I wanted to critique a lot of the LGBT culture from a gay perspective as a gay man who's lived in New York. Um, and a lot of the new stuff that I was seeing, especially with the drag kids was the one was the main reason that I sort of started my channel was to speak out against that and be like, Hey parents, like you shouldn't be taking your children to perform on yeah. a stage at a bar in Brooklyn. That's not kind of weird. It's making us look really bad. Um, yeah. YouTube and what, what do people say about that though? Uh, I got a lot of, you know, I, I got mixed response. So a lot of support, a lot of, um, you know, this is wrong, like people shouldn't be doing this. And the, there's a lot of people on the extreme that are more like, you know, parents that are letting their kids do this should like, you know, have their kids taken away, they should go to jail. Um, but I got uh, also a lot of a lot of hate for it because, you know, they're saying, oh, just let these kids do what they want. They're just expressing themselves. It's perfectly fine. Yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, this is just the natural evolution of the gay rights, you know, thing. And, uh, and I was like, guys, uh, it's not a cute look. Like, and, and the one thing I don't really think that a lot of gay people, especially and a lot of the activists, especially don't understand is that, you know, the pendulum can swing back towards the right and it can swing back violently. And it can be very, very bad for the, any homosexuals or LGBTQ, whatever, uh, individuals, because, when you push too far, you know, it's only, there is that pushback. And, you know, a lot of people just think that, you know, we're only going to be able to be more tolerant, more open and more, and it's, eh, the, the culture can swing back the other way. Yeah. So that was my, my fear. And I wanted to step out and speak out. Which actually yeah. kind of goes back to the first question of why we started the show. And I mean, if I were to sum that up, really, I think, you know, grappling with the question of evil 
is one of the main reasons. And we, we talked about this last time we were on uh, your stream when we just kind of showed up. But the question of evil is very much one that Brent and I have been grappling with and trying to make sense of, you know, for a very long time before the show. And one of the things we study is psychopathology and the cluster B personality mm -hmm. disorders, which mm -hmm. is stuff that Josh Slocum is into. And that was kind of how we ended up finding him as one of our friends recommended him to us. And he was like, this guy's also talking about very similar things to you. So yeah. that was how we um, linked up. But my background is not too different from Brent's. I'm definitely more traditionally from the left. You know, my mom's a Cuban immigrant. Um, she has cerebral palsy. You know, I, I came from parents who had developmental and mental disabilities. I come from a very urban blue area. Elizabeth, New Jersey is a very ethnically diverse area so you know someone like me i think i just i was born in that type of lefty mindset i didn't really question it very much went to occupy wall street when i was in college wanted to dude i was at occupy wall street i, want I to bet we were there yeah we may have passed each other who knows you know i went not during the day but i went That's at night on the first day it started so i did show up at night at zakoti park and i talked to some people and and it was interesting i went back a few times just to kind of observe and get a feel for what was happening culturally in the country and one could say that in many ways what we're seeing with the woke lefty identity politics kind of started back then but occupy was weird because it didn't it didn't have one of the main criticisms of it at the time was that there was no one demand. I remember the media really saying this, like, what is their one demand? What are these protesters protesting for? And what it turned into was like this sort of giant microphone because I, I met Republicans there too. And I met some conservatives there too. And it just became this sort of giant open mic where everyone came to express their grievance, whatever that grievance was with the system. And when Occupy ended, I think what happened was a lot of those different groups with their different grievances fractured off into a million pieces of all their woke little identity causes that they all went off to fight for. And the issue was no longer class issues, right? Dealing with the wealth disparity in the country, which really was the main thing Occupy was yeah. about. It became about these identity groups, you know, being yes. gay, being black, being Latino, all of that intersectionality. And so traditionally that's where I come from. And I was also very into the zeitgeist movement back then. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Like I had this idea in my head that, you know, maybe we could use technology to free society and save us. But I started to realize that that was also naive because we weren't grappling with the psychopath question and other with weird grappling things. with evil. Yes. You know? I so love you that you phrased it that way, grappling with evil, because that's sort of where, like yeah, that's where I've been heading in, in terms of where my thoughts have been going the past couple of years and trying to understand where we're at. You know, for a while it was trying to understand my old, I talk as many people as I could about social justice. Um, and then it's, and, and, and now it's sort of become a little bit more about the nature of evil. Where does morality come from? Like yeah. how do people stay on a good path in life versus going off on these uh, evil? And, and a while, there was a while there where I kind of hesitated to use that word. Um, and I don't hesitate anymore. I think, I think once people, once people st start to acknowledge that evil exists, then it sort of opens them up to acknowledge that good exists too. At least that's been yeah. my experience with people. Um, a great point. But, but you know what, can I, can I tell you something? I had a, I just saw this, uh, uh, well, there's one of the true crime shows that I watch where I learned that, do you remember 
the guy in Canada who was on a Greyhound bus and he killed a fellow passenger. He actually decapitated him. And yeah, do you remember that? Sorry. It was on the news. Okay. That guy, I just always assumed he was in prison this whole time. He's not. They found him, even though he did this in front of everyone, uh, they said that he was undiagnosed schizophrenic and therefore he was not guilty by reason of insanity. And they put him in a mental hospital in Canada. After a year and a half, they let him start going out into the world on supervised visits. After another year and a half, he was going on unsupervised visits. And then a short time after that, he was in a halfway house. Anyway, in 2017, they gave this guy a full release. They said he's been healed. Um, he's back in the public. This guy just, nothing had happened. No altercation with the fellow bus passenger just killed him. Yeah. In a very gruesome way. And because uh, to me, and I'll ask you a question about this. To me, it doesn't matter if he's schizophrenic or has a mental health issue. There are many people, most people with mental health problems don't decapitate someone on a bus. And once you've crossed that line, I don't think that going in open society so that's my first question what do you think about that and then and then uh and then my second question which is a bigger question is it reminded me of a friend of mine who's atheist a couple years ago we had this this discussion and he doesn't believe in evil he doesn't believe in evil he thinks when people do stuff like that or commit these gruesome murders that it's some kind of chemical imbalance that it's a failure of science to to understand what's happening he thinks that in the future science will have figured all this out so there won't be things like murder because we'll just give people pills um so that's two questions one's one one what do you think about mental health and once you cross a line and secondly what do you think about that whole there is no evil it's just science you want me to? So, uh, first of all, I, I have a background in science. Uh, my, uh, my bachelor's degree is in molecular, bio, uh, molecular biology and biochemistry, and I got uh, did master's work. I didn't actually get my master's degree, but uh, for DNA recombinant tech, it's a molecular bio uh, specialization. That whole idea, I'm going to answer the second question first, that like mm -hmm. science will be able to just you know fix it in the future, I think is really naive um, because it just doesn't, it doesn't really work out. Like it, to, to me, it sounds like he doesn't really know that much about science because science is really just this sort of bumbling path into the light. You know, we're basically just trying to discover what is real, what is objective truth. And um, it can be abused a lot of times. We've seen abuse, uh, especially in the last couple of years um, of, of science as an institution. We've seen corruption in the institution itself. So to me, I think it's really naive that we'll just be able to eliminate um, you know, a chemical imbalance. And also, I don't think it's probably understanding the cause. Like, I, I think it, he seems to just skip to this idea that, you know, okay, evil doesn't exist, which I, I just, I find it unbelievable. It's to me, it's, it's probably seen as, as silly, you know, as it seems to him that, that, you know, we're over here saying that, you know, evil exists, that it's like a force of nature. Um, and I, I think it's just really kind of ridiculous that he would just, you know, swipe it off the off the board altogether go watch go watch the show mind hunters um, <laughs> oh yeah i've seen that book, show there's a book too and it's a, all that's based on a true story these three investigators one was a psychologist the other two were criminal detectives 
go watch Mindhunters, and when you're done with it, tell me you still don't believe in evil. Yeah, that's so. It. so in the second, the first question was about okay, so the guy that got released because he had a psychological issue that was supposedly solved. First of all, the first thing that I was like, I was like, wasn't that in Canada? And you mentioned Canada, and, and I was like, of course it's in Canada because <laughs> they don't like to lock people up for anything. Um, and they're really, they have a really soft justice system up there, especially when it comes to, you know, mental health, uh, reasons. So, and, and I think I agree with, you know, I agree with you. Like once it's kind of like having, you know, once one of us has crossed that line into homicide, like you were kind of marked as a murderer for life. Like, and you know, if you're not guilty by reason of insanity or temporary insanity, um, you know, that, that, that changes you. And especially for someone like that who just, you know, one day snapped and, you know, killed a random person that was just in close proximity, you've got no guarantees, you know, that that person will not do that again in the future. Yes. Regardless of what the doctor says. Let's also just point out too really quick the severity of what he did. It's one thing if you, like, went off and you shot someone or you, like, stabbed them or you freaked out or, like, you choked. I don't know. I mean, choking them, that's some effort there. But... I don't have experience, but from what I understand, it is incredibly difficult to remove someone's head. And you you would have to make a very serious effort to do that. And, <laughs> you know, how, how, how much can you really blame that on, like, an unknowingness that you didn't know what you were doing? You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's not a – yeah, and it's not like a crime of passion where he knew the guy and yeah. Yeah, no. exploded. It's that random – yeah, it came out of nowhere. You know, he How do you also explain engaged. That? Yeah, yeah, he also engaged in cannibalism. He, he was, it was like it was every gruesome thing, dark thing you can think of. Yeah, and there were the bus. People were screaming to get off the bus, and then we're standing stranded on the side of the highway watching this happen on the bus. And he was taunting them from inside the bus and doing things, just gruesome things. And and there were kids there who witnessed all that who've been scarred for life. Yeah. And. Um, not only did they give him a full release because they said, well, couldn't help it at the time because he had schizophrenia. We've addressed that now. He has meds. They gave him a full release. So there's there's no one making sure he's taking those meds, first of all. And second of all, they gave him a new identity. They gave him a new name. Yeah, that's wow. that's crazy. That's um, crazy. <laughs> I mean, mental health and all that, yes, is very serious. And obviously it could make people do some pretty crazy things. But once you've crossed the line into killing someone, especially if you've removed their head, you don't get out. You, you, don't, you don't get to participate in normal society anymore. That's the way I see it. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a, a I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not just a mental health issue at that point when you've done something yeah. like that. It's like, well, yeah, you may have this mental health. Yeah. There's also this freaking evil involved and exactly. you've crossed the line. Well, the, um, one of the things that too, I think we, talked about i don't know if it was on your show but we've definitely talked about it on ours one of our previous guests you know is things like demons and possession and stuff mm-hmm. like that and it's like when when you encounter inexplicable type of evil like this that is just so random that you just like how does it happen like or the shooting that happened in texas the same thing like just what brings yeah. someone to do something so yes incredibly horrible and evil and you know you do have to wonder like are there entities and things out there that are really dark and can like push people to that i don't know but i don't blame people for looking at the world in that way because it's just we can't explain it it's such a mystery to us that we we end up trying to fill those gaps in in that way and you know i do have a more mystical view of it i guess 
I, I think I do too. I mean, I, I used to have my mind kind of closed to the possibility of, of spirit, spirit of spirituality of spirits of all the, all that stuff. And now it's sort of, it's more open in terms of, I don't know. Yeah. And I do know that there are sometimes um, like we are all capable of good and evil, obviously. <laughs> and every day, um, but then that there, there's something else that happens where I think people who get, they get consumed by the bad, by the evil. And I don't know what that is, but to come to a place where like the Texas shooting, where you not only want to, you despise life so much that you not only don't mind losing yours, but you want to take others with you. That's a, that's a, such a dark place. What do you think? What kind of conversation should we be having since this is the topic in the news now? And, you know, they go through cycles of, of, of what they're, I think there are a lot of facets. Their to it. heads. Um, what do you think? Yeah, there's a lot of facets to it, but I, I honestly, I am starting to lean towards the framework, the way of looking at it that Peterson is Jordan Peterson is starting to look at it, mm -hmm. and you know, the, these are people. Some of them are probably full-fledged psychopaths, but some of them, you know, I'm sure had a conscience some, at some point and are probably just really damaged, hurt by reality that they want to get revenge against being itself and and i think that idea is a really fascinating idea like i there are definitely people out there who get to such a dark low place in their lives where they just become complete nihilistic mm -hmm. and they want to get revenge against existence itself yes and, you know how how do you contend with something and someone like that you know you can't stop someone once they get to that point and they've made a decision like that to get revenge against life itself well you, know? but you can prevent it in the future by but, improving your country and yeah. your town and your state and your you security can, arm yourself protect people. yourself it's like dude evil's not going anywhere well that's one way i mean so the, the there's two approaches you can to, to defend oneself against it you have to you know deploy defensive measures you yeah. know we have to be like okay these are not going to stop it's going to keep happening so probably the best way to deal with that is to arm more people, yeah. you know, and, and defend these locations that are targets. And one of the things I saw a video of Thomas Massey talking in Congress yesterday, they, they're trying to ram through uh, six, I think, different bills through the Judiciary uh, Subcommittee because in response to the shooting, they're all gun control bills of some various degree. Uh, Thomas Massey shredded them apart in like four and a half minutes and said, you know, we should stop advertising our schools as gun-free zones. Like we should get rid of that whole, there's a, like a piece of legislation, uh, I think from like the late nineties that established these ideas of gun-free zones. And there are some uh, schools that have in some states where they've gone, they've, you know, totally gotten rid of that and they've allowed teachers to conceal carry. And he said that in every school where the teachers are allowed to conceal carry, there has not yet been one single mass shooting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether or not that's, you know, the luck of the draw or that's because those targets are not as soft, who's to say? But, you know, it, it was a very interesting piece of uh, evidence in terms of his argument. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, and then the I, other, I agree with the you. other side is to improve the culture, you know, you know, to make, you know, people less miserable, you know, to, to do things like the whole lockdown situation really destroyed yes. mental health across yeah. the board. And so, you know, it increased addiction, it increased alcohol problems, addiction deaths, fentanyl deaths, um, all of that just went way up as soon as the lockdowns became down. Yeah. And, you know, it, it drove a lot of people, you know, like our 
personal economic situation is not particularly yeah. good. And our personal lives, you know, the effects it had on our family. Yeah. And, you know, Dan's I, father got cancer halfway well, through the lockdown. Well, yeah, you know, at really the and, to get treatment. The Misinformed Conference, which we were there, you know, that was one of the questions I put to, I think it was Destiny, when they were having the panel discussion there. You know, I asked, like, are you able to acknowledge that lockdowns actually killed people? You know, you tout this, oh, one million deaths from COVID. And we can analyze that, too. You know, how accurate is that one million deaths number? That's a whole other thing in and of itself. But, you know, you tout this number, but nothing about addictions, overdoses, undiagnosed illnesses, people missing treatments, uh, paranoia children, increasing. The, the number of children yeah, that were learning disorders, all types of things. Yes. Yeah. So high, and, and and especially in places, and it correlated with places that had the, the harder, harsher yeah. lockdowns. So like the number of childhood suicide attempts in California, for example, if you look at the numbers pre and post, you know, 20, like 2020 versus 2019, it's very dramatically different. Yeah. There was, there was no consideration for the costs, what the costs would be. And so, you know, we're talking about the school thing and I kind of want to go into that and the lockdowns too, because I was a substitute to te teacher before all of that happened. I had done that for five years. I've worked in schools and I worked in an urban district. And one of the things early on in the lockdowns, I realized why this would be bad. It's just, I know for a fact that there are a lot of kids who come to school and have really rough homes, you know, things going on there that, you know, I, it's between them and their counselors as far as I'm concerned, but I know for a fact that a lot of these kids have that. And one of the things I thought about when they locked everything down was how many of these kids did they just take that seven hours away from that abusive situation they had, you know, to escape, to go to school and lock them and contain them in the house with that abusive parent, you know, things like that. Oh, did we just lose her? Oh, did we lose Carrie? Actually oh, switching it real quick to her oh, wired. Are we still, oh, we're still alive. But okay. yeah, so, you know, the way lockdowns affected children's mental health, just in that way, you know, kids in urban districts who for many of them, school was like an escape as much as they complained about it. It was a way for them to get away from their really crappy home situations, you know? Yeah. That's what, and that was the thing I said in the chat is that we, we did the lockdowns without even knowing what the costs were. Yeah. It was just like, you know, it's like, okay, we're doing this now. And it's just like, is it going to work? We don't know, but why not? Let's do it. And then on the gun issue, you know, having worked in schools and yes, again, I was a sub, I wasn't like a full-time teacher, but having worked in schools uh, and now I don't anymore because of the lockdowns and the way of the mandates and all that, it left a really bad taste in my mouth. Like I don't want to be a part of the education system anymore. Also with the woke stuff, the gender ideology crap, like I feel like that's not an environment I can be in and truly say what I need to say, um, that I'll be very limited there. So that's one of the reasons they left. But the other reason too now, I'm just like, I'm not, I won't even consider returning unless they let me arm myself. Yeah, I'm at that point now in this country. Can I ask you, first of all, I apologize. I dropped out for a second. I was trying to fix my internet Yeah, and it booted me. It's way better now. Yeah, yeah. Somebody says, turn off your resting SJW face. Dude, I think I was frozen. In <laughs> you, you might have been frozen. You <laughs> were a little robotic earlier. You I might have been it. frozen. I was wondering if you were on Wi-Fi because that's... Okay. It's it's wired now. I apologize. So okay. I, I caught most of that. I was only gone for a okay. minute or less. I, I wanted to ask you, I just read an article as someone who... You, you said, you know, you're talking about education. Lady, I just read an article this morning. It was shared in one of the parents' groups I'm in. And it was about, at least from the article's perspective and who they interviewed, it, they were interviewing teachers who've decided to no longer teach. And I was curious how they were going to frame this, not knowing anything about it. I clicked on it. I was reading it. 
Um, and the comments from the teachers, the former teachers that they were interviewing were saying that they've given up because they don't have any control over students in the room anymore. It wasn't about woke stuff, actually. Um, but what they were saying is that over the years uh, that, that, that the, the trust in teachers to discipline or to set the rules for their classroom has eroded. And they're to the point where a lot of them were saying, I can't even ban a cell phone in my class. I'll tell students to put their cell phones away. They disrespect me. Um, they keep their cell phones out. Their attention span is much shorter. And then they go and complain to their parents who tell me that they should be allowed to have their phones and nobody at my school backs me up and I can't do anything to, you know, if I tell they, they, one, one teacher said, I can't even send a, a kid to the principal's office if he's misbehaving because he'll refuse to go and I can't forcibly make him. Yeah. And so it becomes this standoff. And he was sort of saying there's this breakdown. These these teachers are saying there seems to be this breakdown in the homes where parents are now a lot of them just letting their kids run the show. And that carries over to school where they have this attitude of like, you don't get to tell me what to do. So take that and apply everything you just said to what we're seeing with the, the gender stuff. Okay. And how, how many of these young kids who are struggling with their identities or maybe they're autistic or maybe they're socially awkward, they are leading the adults now by the nose. They are saying, if, if, you, if you don't let us do this, you know, you're hurting us. You're going to make us kill ourselves, right? So, And I think what you're saying ties into that. There's definitely a breakdown of respect for the adults, respect for elders, respect bad for teachers. Just and bad, bad behavior. It probably does go back to, like you said, the family unit, like the home. There's something there because that's where it starts. You know, like the parents are supposed to teach you in the home how to behave when you're not. In the yes. Because when you're not in the home, in a sense, you're a representative of the home. You're a representative yeah. of them in a sense. And that that sense, I think, has been lost in our society. And it's not a, an immediate thing. I think this is something that's been happening for a while now, gradually. Yeah. I think this goes back, since you mentioned Peterson, it makes me think of um, some of the stuff he put in his 12, 12, 12 Rules for Life book Great about, book. yeah, where he's talking about um, don't do, don't let your kids do anything that makes you dislike them. <laughs> and also, oh yeah, there it is. And also he was kind of saying, you know, your job as a parent is to raise kids who people like and want to be around and help, help out in life. Yeah. And you, so you should be raising the, you know, citizens who people enjoy being around. But he's like, if you despise who your kid is becoming and don't want to hang out with them, why would anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> and then you're sending them out into the world like that, yeah. right? Um, I, I've been thinking about that a lot because as you, you related it back to gender, I'm in some of these Facebook groups. I've mentioned this before. I really encourage, if you guys are curious about how far the gender ideology has spread and the impact it's having on families see if you can get into some of these groups um on facebook just look for parents of trans kids and stuff i've joined a few of them they let me in uh and it's remarkable it's just um it's it's absolute upside down world where the children are controlling everything yeah and it's very clear there are parents who even post stuff in there about how anything they want the kid to do the kid threatens suicide Wow. And, you know, but you've you've allowed that to happen as a parent. Yes. You've allowed the child to have that much control over you uh -huh. because yep. it works. Yep. You know. Yeah, I was I mean, my 
my dad was a tyrant when I grew when I was growing up. So I, <laughs> I would get hit if I misbehaved, like, you know, mm. smacked on the crotch, you know, like smacked on the, on the butt. And usually like he would use a, uh, uh, a leather belt called it the strap. So yeah, that's same. it. My mom acted out when we did crazy things. I'll never forget. <laughs> it was this one time when me and my, my best friend, Brad, at the time, we must have been six, seven, eight years old. And we were dancing on top of his father's car. <laughs> and we didn't, you know, we didn't think that it was a bad idea. We didn't think we, we could damage the car, you know. And my dad gave me a whooping for that one. And, you know, I never danced on anybody else's car. Again. <laughs> but that's just one example of how, you know, I think the times have changed. There's been this, you know, for years, there's been this don't hit your kids thing. Don't hit your kids. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that and I, I don't have kids, so I can't really answer that question. But, um, you know, I don't I don't know if the, the whole idea of just sort of, you know, trying to uh, not corporally punish has caused this slow degradation in behavior of children. Yeah. Well, it could go too far. That's the thing. So. I'm going to give my, my example. Um, okay. So my, my dad got hit a lot when he was a kid, probably too much. So he never liked to do that. Um, my dad's a very meek person, but even he took the belt to me at least once when I was young, when I was very young, young enough. And I think honestly, only like once or twice was all it took. And then, you know, after that, if I, if I misbehaved or whatever, when I was very small, he would just, threatened the belt and that was all it took it was like all right dad i'm sorry <laughs> but he didn't like to hit us it was just something he didn't like to do and i think because he had such extreme experiences of that when he was a kid from his father it was just something he didn't like to do but he he did hit us at least i definitely remember getting hit with the belt at least once for i don't remember what the hell i did i was very small but i think you know sometimes a kid needs like a really strong boundary reminder if it's an extreme thing that they do you know i'm not saying just hit them for anything but maybe we do need to reanalyze some, you know, discipline, right? Well, it just seems like, like the, a lot of these kids are just not having any discipline yeah. at all. Yeah. Like they're not even taking away the phone at home. Yeah. That was one thing. So we I didn't have that. So that's another thing too. It's we, we didn't grow up with that. With you have that to in our hand all the time. Yeah, that's, so. and I think that's the thing that's leading to a lot of the decay of the behavior and especially a lot of the acting out and the lack of attention span is that they're staring at that thing yeah. all the time. Yeah. I don't think anybody under 16 should have a phone or if they do have a phone, it should only have a like call like function mm -hmm. and it should only call like mom and dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> before think like, about it this way. Think about how addicting those things can be to us yeah. as, adults. You know, as adults, as people who weren't even totally immersed in it in our younger years, we, it's something that we had later in life. And it's still very addicting to us. Sometimes it's very hard for me to put my phone down. I have to remind myself, like, all right, like, just get back to whatever it is you're doing. Now, imagine that in the hands of a very young mind that is still developing, that's very malleable, very, you know, it's moldable. It's like crack. <laughs> it's like the everything is at their fingertips. Everything. Pornography, everything. The craziest things you can think of are at their fingertips. And you know, it, it is what it is. The Pandora's box is open, the cat's out of the bag. And now we're, we're trying to figure out how do we contend with this as a society? Because we're not built for this. Yeah, you know, it's we're, also we're sort of information overload either. It's too much. It's too much. And, and, you're, and you're right. We don't know what it's doing because the mind, the brain is still developing at that age. And so when you're giving this addictive thing to children, when the brain's developing, you don't know how that's influencing their development. And I think that might be the reason why you see um, 
everyone, no matter the age group, has has a shorter attention span these days on average. But I think the kids especially, they're growing up without having known a time before that interruption, that constant interruption and, and, um, and you know, the digging of the phone. And, the, and, and so I don't know what that does. We don't know what that does to a person permanently. I but they make- definitely have. I'll, one, one last thing about that article, the teachers were saying, one of the teachers said that their, their uh, lessons in class have never been um, more engaging in terms of th- they recognize the kids have a short attention span. And so he was like, the past couple of years, I've made them as engaging as possible to keep people's attentions. I'm cognizant of the short attention span. And yet the feedback I'm getting from parents is that my kid's not engaged in your class, you know? So So I want to make a recommendation. It's an unusual one, actually. Normally I'm recommending books all the time. That's how I am. But I'm going to recommend a musical right now. It's a very underrated. Oh, this is a good one. Um, I recommend everyone go check out the musical Octet. You can find the entire album on YouTube, I believe. Uh, It was off Broadway. When Brent and I saw it, we saw it in the, I think it was the meatpacking area of New York, right? uh, no it was like right down here on 42nd yeah Tavis. so this was like i think 2018 it was in a cabaret yeah our friend yes. got us tickets for this and it was like a really small intimate theater and the the gist of octet is that there are these eight people who are all part of a sort of aa group like okay. an addiction group but for for the internet um, and so uh, as they and, sing, yeah. each one has like their own song, the, their own particular addiction thing that they deal with. So there's this, the first woman who sings her, she's known as, um, I think it was a woman goes crazy at the supermarket. That's who she is. <laughs> she had a viral video that destroyed, life. that destroyed her life. And her addiction was, was Googling herself to see the terrible things that people about her. In the viral video they had another guy who was addicted to like the candy crush games on his phone and he just he was playing them all the time constantly another character um had the porn addiction Mm. Um, there was another guy who his addiction was arguing with um creationists on religious (laughs) and he was an atheist and that was his addiction was arguing with creation forms like really really listen to that and i don't know if they'll ever return it and bring the show back i really hope they do but honestly that was one of the most profound pieces of theater i had ever seen because it really really tapped on the pulse of our society right now in the current zeitgeist of of what's happening and i haven't seen any other show that really touched on that topic in the way that that one did go yeah. listen to that by dave malloy dave malloy what a yeah. great topic and you're so i'm laughing because put the link in the chat yes uh, thank you. thanks pirate i found it yeah. uh i'm laughing because you can see i mean all of those characters yeah. yes everyone has their own thing that they're so, like i have to stop this is the thing that distracts me when yeah. i pick up the phone right yeah. Yeah. the story of how that show came about is also fascinating so dave malloy had a musical on broadway called the great comet um it was actually based on War and Peace. I don't know if you know the novel by Tolstoy, mm-hmm. one of my favorite novels. It's based I on- novel. I haven't read it. It's really long. It's so really long. The musical, <laughs> the musical itself is actually based only on a small section of War and Peace because War and Peace is so long. So the whole musical is only based on like a one, one book or one part of it. And so this musical was going on in Broadway and it was doing really well. I think Josh Groban was the original lead and he's a very well-known popular oh, yeah. singer. So the ticket sales were doing great. 
um, they switched the lead actor. And in Broadway, they have this whole rule now where anyone of any color can play any white character, but anyone who's white can't can only play white characters. In <laughs> yeah. Right? So they, they this is real. Anyone listening, this yeah. is real. You're not yeah. joking. So in, in the great comment, they had a diverse cast. And look, the show was great. I didn't care about any of that. And the guy, the lead guy was a it black was a great show. The lead guy was a black man who played Pierre. So when we saw when I saw the great comment, he was the guy who was actually playing Pierre and he was fine. Um, he I think I forgot his name. I think it was like Oak or something. And he was actually, I think, in Hamilton. Anyway, he was doing a show for a while after Josh Groban and the ticket sales started to go down. So they needed to strategize to figure out how do we bring the ticket sales back up so we can keep the show going a little longer. So they're like, we'll, tempor we'll temporarily switch Oak out for another actor so we can bring the ticket sales back up and then we'll bring him back on later. So they replaced him temporarily with the guy from Princess Bride. I don't remember what the hell his name was. Oh, Carrie, Montoya. Carrie. Oh, that guy. Oh. I am yeah. Yeah, no, I forget his yeah. name. Oh, man, uh, man, uh, Manny Patinkin. Yes, that guy. So they, they replaced They brought him on as the lead to try to br just bring the ticket sales back up. Because he had drawing Because he had a name. He has a name. I mean, he's a Broadway yeah. star. Did he right. help? The, the woke people Canceled freaked out. And this, this, I think this was like 2018 or like 2017. So this was around when this was really starting to happen. So this was post-Peterson, post all of that. And they were freaking out, saying, how dare you take this role away from a black man and give it to a white man yeah. and this and this and that. And I'm over here just like, guys, this show is, is about a Russian novel during the <laughs> Napoleonic Wars in Russia. These are right. all Russians. Why does it matter, does it matter? If, the, if you replace the lead black guy with a, a well-known well also, 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 isn't Andy Patinkin? I didn't think he was white. Uh, he's he, not black. I know he's not that's black, but isn't that's he? That's all they cared about. Spanish is, or something? They know. They didn't care. The fact was that they took the role from a black man, and people started to freak out over that. Oh, and there was, the funny thing is that had they never given it to a black man in the first place, yeah. there would have been no problem. Yeah. But because they had the diversity, <laughs> yeah. you know, thing, yeah. and then you know, temporarily switched it out, thinking, "Oh, no big deal." Yeah. It was just like. Rah! So the reason why I'm telling this story is because this resulted in the great comet being canceled. The show couldn't continue. And Dave Malloy's reaction to all of that was Octet. Yeah. That was his, uh, that show about the addiction of social media and the outrage and the cancel culture. And he tied it all into it, not just the cancel culture, but the yeah. other stuff, too, porn, all of that. And he realized this was like a, a social outrage, social media type of thing that we're dealing with. And what he really wanted to get across with Octet was that like, this is so new, our brains are not made for this. Yes. You, know, you know, people will take the lie and it'll go, you know, go all the way around the world before the truth even has time to catch up anymore. That is our society now. So yeah. Octet was very much like an artistic response from him about the great comic getting canceled because they freaked out over this role change. So... I, you're a great storyteller, by the way. Thank you. I'm a, so I'm a, I, I didn't get to go into my background. Brent talked about he's into yeah. my, he studied microbiology. I have an English writing degree. Um, I went to Kane University in Union County. So I have a bachelor's in writing. That was what I studied. Um, but I'm also a musician. I'm a drummer. And, oh. and I'm a painter. You know, So when I went into undergrad, I didn't go for music because I couldn't sight read. He's a triple threat. Didn't go for art <laughs> because I didn't feel confident in my portfolio. And I actually 
went away from that for a while and fell back on writing and reading because I was, you know, I really liked that stuff. And then later on, I kind of went back into painting, but I also self-published five books of poems. So what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know you did poetry. I don't, I should He's got advertise five. it. I don't advertise it enough. I just like do it. Well, yeah. <laughs> you should put it on the website. I should, I really should, I really should. You should put it on the website, Maybe which by the way. It up. Um, Pilot, go on, go on Amazon and just look up Daniel Delafay. You should be able to find like my Amazon page and it'll have all the books in there. So if you can find that, I guess, throw it in the chat, feel free. But yeah, you know, I, I'm a writer, so I do, I take articulating myself seriously, but I'm getting used to this. This is still new to me, talking on camera and just kind of winging it. Sometimes he rambles. I can ramble. Man. Like I'm much better when I can like sit there and really like write it, <laughs> you know, plan out exactly what I want to say. And yeah, yeah. Well, um, I want to get your take on a couple of news things. First of all, let me see. This I sent. I sent you a tweet, pirate. Let's pull that up. So normally on Fridays, we kind of hit a couple of things, whatever's on our mind or we saw this week. This is something I saw on um, anybody who is in the knitting world and you saw my interview with uh, Neil James. He's the editor of Blocked Magazine, which is a knitting magazine that has uh, designs and also commentary about culture and about social justice infiltration in the knitting world. He shared this on Instagram. Uh, I don't think he's on Twitter, so I just told people go go find him on IG. Uh, he's under United Kingdom on on IG. Um, <laughs> United, United Kingdom. Kingdom. Yeah. Love so it. this is one of the uh, top. This is not a parody. This video I'm about to show you. It's not a parody. This is a very popular social justice knitting blogger in the Instagram world. And I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh yes. <laughs> And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a big thing. They do a lot of bullying, cancellations, things like that. Huh. But this really stood out to me because I just, well, let's just play it. You can see yeah. what I'm saying. If coping with disappointment involves uh, Kelsey, get the burning car and flip it over. If a big emotion causes you to run out into the streets and set something on fucking fire, you need another coping mechanism. I'm looking at you, white dudes who win the championship. I'm looking at you, white dudes who lose the championship. <laughs> you need a way to cope that's not destroying property, which is only sacred when black and brown people destroy it. <laughs> we do it. Excuse me? People destroy property. It's making a point and it's a form of speech. But whatever. That's an aside. Yeah. So that's the first thing. <laughs> I know. Try needle belt. You get to stab the thing over and over again. I heard that's helpful. Interesting. <laughs> so, it's only yeah. safe when black and brown people do it, Brent. I don't. What the fuck was that? I don't. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I, I think what you know that is is it's kind of what we've seen with like a lot of the far left, you know, kind of wokeisms is that there's different sets of rules depending on your skin color, depending on your sexual orientation, uh, and if you don't obey the rules, then you know they they cancel you or you're excluded from the group. 
Um, but that's that's kind of what it seems to me. And it just I can't believe that she. I, I was agreeing with her. I was like, yeah, don't go out and destroy property yeah. because yeah. somebody won yeah. of a game or somebody lost a game. Like that's silly. And I was like, also thinking in the back of my head, it's also silly when you go out and like a riot, destroy your community yeah. because you don't like something that's going on in the news. Uh, but then you know she sort of had that little caveat. Yeah, was just like, oh, but wait, let me do it. No, it's not sacred, girl. It's Wait. not sacred. It's just, it's, just don't do it. You're destroying communities. You're ruining people's lives. Stop. It's amazing. It's like watching hypocrisy in action. Like you can almost yes. see the wheels in her brain turning. Because I don't know what happened that she was talking about. There must have been something that happened that she's commenting on and saying, "Listen, white people, don't do this. Don't destroy property." And then her brain was like, "Uh, but black people have destroyed property," and so she's like. Uh, but when we do it, it's okay. That's it's sacred. Not, not just okay. <laughs> not just okay. Sacred. <laughs> you, you know, when we, we take apart that word, you know, it does give you insight into her, you know, the way that she's thinking about this. So, you know, when she calls it sacred, it is a religious, yeah. you know, or spiritual activity in her mind. Because, yeah. and it's, it's righteous. That, that, you know, and that just shows you like the, the whole woke thing. It's like, it's like you said, that they're kind of, a little culty, if not a lot of culty. But oh, yeah. look at this! Hey, two sisters and some yarn is in the chat. She says uh, she has told white people not to comment on her posts, <laughs> not to message her, not to even think about it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my! <God>. <laughs> Don't <laughs> even think up here. No, <laughs> uh, I, I just it, and this it just strikes me like how a lot of people it's like kind of the way the abortion debate is handled a little bit. They're like, oh, if you don't have a uterus, you can't talk about it. And I'm yeah. like, well, that's really just a silly way to think of something. It's like, you know, you could just take that and apply that to anything. You yeah. Know, like, well, talk about the gun debate. Well, like, that was what uh, one of our Twitter people, one of our friends on Twitter tweeted that today. He was like, well, two could play at that game. If you don't have a gun, you, you, if you don't have a gun, you don't have a right to co right. comment yeah. on firearms exactly. policy. Or, but I mean, it's like anybody can talk about anything. Yeah. Like wh yes. why do you have to yeah. be I never, XYZ in order to have an opinion? Yeah, like, I never like that. It's like, I, I would never look at someone and say, you don't have a right to speak about issues yeah. Yeah. about gay men because you are not a gay man. I, I, I might look at them and say, well, hey, you know, I'm speaking from a place of experience when I speak well, about the right. subject, but I would never it's a tell fallacy. them. It's a yeah. logical fallacy, and it's an appeal to authority. It yeah. says you don't have the authority to speak on this subject for X, Y, Z. No one needs authority to it's speak BS. on shit. Exactly. exactly. Correct. It's sort of when somebody talks, It's there's several things that go into your, should go into your evaluation of what they're saying. One of those things, among many, is there is what social justice people call their lived experience. It's their experience. Um, for example, I'm going to listen to uh, a doctor talking about something, I'm going to give him a little bit more uh, uh, credence maybe because he's a doctor and he's experienced in this field. If he's talking about something medical, then I would myself, <laughs> you should give him more than me. But then there are other things that go into it. That's not the only thing. It's yeah. also, you know, all these credentials, things like that. Well, that goes into it. Um, but so does, here's the big one. This is the biggest one. The strength of your argument and the facts and evidence yeah. that you supply. That's the most important thing, I think. Out of all the things that go into an evaluation to help you determine if if you think this person is right or not, it's like it's like the the their experience is I don't I don't think it's as as valuable as the strength of the argumentation and the evidence. And you know what's not really that important to me at all is is the thing they pay the biggest attention to 
which is what identity groups you're in. Yeah. And who cares? Yeah. yeah. Now take it back to the individual. I'm I'm very much in that realm now because, you know, and I'm going to bring up Peterson again, but he makes such a good point when he talks about this. How do you determine who's more oppressed when you really start breaking this down? Because you you can break your identity down to a whole bunch of things, you know, and like who's more oppressed, me or the black gay man? Like we don't. They, we don't. they would say the black gay man. Well, who's yes. more oppressed, the black gay man? or the black one-legged gay man, or the black yeah. one-legged gay man who like has an eye patch, or like, you get what I mean? It's like when yeah. you really come down to these things, like everyone has some impediment of some sort yes. that back to some extent, and everyone has strengths that if they knew how to utilize those strengths and they really built them up, could change their lives, right? And and elevate them. Like I don't identify world. with my celiac yeah. disease. Like but, I don't claim that. Yeah. I know, so, as <laughs> Why not? In, in I this, mean, I guess maybe you could in this weird. political atmosphere. But we, don't, we also don't do it for height. You know, yeah. we all like it's well established in the research that tall men do a lot better yeah. than short men financially dating. Like if you got, if you're tall, you have a huge advantage. You know, in politics and business. When you look at people that tend to be like in the very, very top, you know, 0.1% of all the achieving like groups, they all tend to be dudes over six foot. And, and it's just like, that's just the way it is. And what like, it comes down to is life isn't fair. Life is not um, fair. Some, <laughs> yeah. some people will have to work a little harder to get where they need to get than other people. It's just, it, it is the way it is. The victim mentality is something it's that- toxic. It is. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, we talked about earlier where Brent and I came from politically and I mentioned Occupy and all of that. And look, when I was- when I was an, an undergrad back in those days, I very much had that victim mentality. I understand what it's like to live that way. You know, why am I gay? Why am I born this way? Why are my parents the way they are? Why didn't we have enough money? Why did we have to struggle? You know, like, why is my mom born with the inability to walk and can't read? You know, why? And it's very easy to fixate on those questions to the point where it almost feels personal <laughs> yeah. and it's not, you know, you have to remember that it's not the way, the way we come out in all of this and the hand we're dealt very much is not personal. It's all about how you play the hand. And if you have that victim mentality, you're going to not even realize that you have some cards that are good cards. And you're going to spend so much time looking at the bad cards in your hand that you're going to miss the good ones and you don't play them. You're absolutely right. Totally took me a while, honestly, to really get myself out of that mindset and to acknowledge that I was thinking that way for a long time. And I had to really accept that in myself and then change and say, all right, I'm going to actively start trying to think differently. And I still do it. I still put myself down. I still self-deprecate. And I have to remind myself to change the way I talk about myself yes. and just stop bitching and to just get on with it. You know, yes. like, no one's going to fix my life for me. I have to do it. No policy, no politician. No, no woke activists, no rainbow colors. No like, daddy. No daddy. daddy. <laughs> yeah, no government. I have to, so I'm going to cut in here for a second because I do, I had the same thing. I, it was that realization when I was, it was when I was leaving social justice, all of this was kind of happening and at once. I mean, uh, it, it was weird. I was going through, my mind was becoming open to things like the concept of God and also my mind was becoming open to, is my ideology wrong? Is it bad? Is it doing the opposite of what it says it does, right? Um, and one of these epiphanies I had was about that, was about identity. Because I realized I had defined myself, I had defined a big part of my identity by, first of all, all these groups that I was told in social justice, that's what your identity is, yeah. you know? Straight, white, female, like, et cetera. 
Um, and also I defined it by being, you know, my childhood, by bad things that happened to me in my childhood. And when you let go of that stuff and you realize that none of that is who you are, it's so freeing and you're not tied down to any of that. It helps you get rid of that negative self-talk in a way and all those things that you say and, and helps you get out of any toxic patterns and, and, and ways of thinking about yourself. That's one of the biggest problems with social justice, I think, is that it convinces young people, it preys on young people and convinces them that all these different things are are victimizations and yeah. that they should make these victimizations part of their identity. And if I were to make fun of it, as you were talking here, I guess, cause they put this, this crap in their bios too on Twitter. They're yeah. like, you know, they're like, uh, you know, Mexican disabled, uh, anorexic fat. And <laughs> <laughs> like all of it, you could be anorexic and fat now. And, <laughs> um, and they have all, so mine would be woman. That's the biggest one. Hashtag woman, hashtag short, hashtag anemic, <laughs> hashtag not rich. <laughs> hashtag not rich. <laughs> hashtag. Boy, I identify as victim. rich. I identify as rich. Oh, you do. <laughs> rich in the spirit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So ahead. the bio thing is an interesting thing. And I notice it from the left and the right. You know, it's the same under the people on the right and MAGA and Trump 2024 and conservative everyone virtue signals it's like there and I get it that people are trying to find their group they're trying to find who they think more alike with but it also it is very tribal and just for me it's I, I'm not like that you know if you go on my bio it's going to tell you what I do it's you know <laughs> I'm a writer I'm a poet I am a musician I am a podcaster right the, those are more those say a lot more about who I am as a person, I'm not going to go and like put a political label on there or hashtag BLM or hashtag pride or like those things don't tell you anything about who I actually yeah. am as an individual. They're just these these tribe labels that you put on there because maybe you're trying to attract people of the same mindset and signal to them. Or maybe you're trying to signal to the ones of the opposite mindset that you're not that, you know, I, yeah. I don't know. But. Well, I think we also forget, you know, as we age, especially those of us that are in our 30s, we forget how important it was to really to belong as as a teenager, because I mean I, I remember you know like having that strong need to like fit into a group of people, especially like you know when it comes to going to school and maintaining your social you know status or whatever, and I think this is kind of the, those same instincts are being perverted by this pathological set of ideas that you know they're calling woke. But really what it is, is just, you know, like James Lindsay calls it uh, neo-Marxism or like Marxism with a, a new flavor. And, and it's it, and basically when you boil it down, it's a pathological idea. It's like a it's like a viral sort of collection of beliefs. Yeah, and Gad, Gad it's a host. Gad Saad calls it a mind parasite. Um, he actually yeah. wrote a book called The Parasitic Mind. And it's about these ideas as being a, a form of like a a parasite that travels from host to host and infects them. And actually that concept is really, is old. Like Native Americans had this idea, they called it the Wetiko virus. It's ah, like W-E-T-I-K-O. You can Google that. Uh, and there's like uh, a bunch of ideas, like it's it's this whole idea that, you know, there there is a pathological sort of infectious set of memes or ideas that can occupy your mind and hijack it and turn you into a little producer of those viral ideas, much in the same way as a virus will hijack a cell and take over its all its machinery. And then all the cell does is it produces more virus particles. It's very, very similar, but on a different level. It's kind of, it's kind of trippy. Yeah. What groups were you in, in high school? You said, you know, 
I'm just curious. You know, you have that pressure when you're in and you're trying to find your tribe. Uh, I was the metal kid for sure. Um, <laughs> I liked a lot of heavy music. You had long flowing locks. When Did I, you? I had long hair when I was a freshman and then I cut it afterward and I didn't keep it long. But I was really into like metal music and rock and I hung out with those kids a lot. But I intersected a lot of different friend groups just because where, where I grew up, um, you know, I mentioned earlier was a very ethnically diverse place you know it's like 75 mm percent -hmm. latino like 12 percent black you know mixture of white and some jewish and just it was, it was it was a big mix you know if you watch hey arnold that was very much my friend group was a mix of things yeah no i was in all of the weird cliques so i hung out with the goth kids i hung out with the skaters the ravers the bandies i love the bandies they're the so band, dorky the band nerds the band nerds, yeah. band uh, nerds. stage crew was another one because my, my girlfriend in high school was in stage crew so i ended up being hanging out with stage yeah. crew. i would jam out in garages with my friends i was i was that kid so. and the political yeah. round table and the uh was it the mock uh mock congress and mock un i love the, the political kids too. oh you you did oh you hung out with them oh yeah we did that i didn't hang out twice with the a year well, our school would do the mock Congress, and then the other the other high school would do the mock UN. We'd go there for that. Our experiences were what, so different in high school. What is stage so. crew? Stage crew is like the so you're like basically the support team for the drama club. So like when uh. you they put on a play, you would build the sets. Uh, when they needed scene changes, you would be the the physical piece. You're hauling these things across the stage and putting the new one out. You're working the lights. You're doing the 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 curtain open and close in between each uh, thing. So that's basically stage crew. So you were in clubs and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was not, man. I avoided that stuff. I did not want to be in school any more than I had to be. Daniel. <laughs> You sound so much like my husband. That's like the way he's described. I, I would get out. Yeah. As soon as school was over, I was like, all right, bye. I'd go hang out at my friend's house, smoke weed, and just rock out. And go out. That was me. Like, you know, I didn't, really, yeah. I didn't do any extracurricular things, really, except yearbook. I was in the yearbook committee for my yeah. senior year. Shout out to Roger Gonzalez, who is the director of that, and my art teacher, and my good friend and mentor. I loved school. Uh, I was, I, the other day we walked by, uh, they were having some kind of festival at this, this high school where with different booths and stuff inside and, and food trucks in the parking lot. And we walked through the high school just to see what's going on. And that smell of a school, it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just took me back and all nostalgia. the desks and everything. Yeah. Nostalgia. That nostalgia. You're like, oh, it smells like elementary school, middle school, high school, you know? We don't appreciate it for sure. I think when we're younger, you know, I think it's it's only when we're when we're older we look back at some of the positive aspects of it and we long for that. Maybe again, I think part of it is just an innocence. You yeah. know, you, you learn so much about the world and evil. Right? We've been talking about, and it's just life is so less complicated then. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all I had to worry about was like tests. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a little complicated. Like when you're gay, it's definitely puberty's weird. You know, mm -hmm. there's definitely puberty's weird for everybody. Though. It is weird for everyone, but it's just definitely a little weird when, when you're not. Yeah. Straight, yeah. So. Well, yeah. I'm gonna pull up another thing that I saw this week. I uh, just wanted to get your take on it, pirate. <clears throat> so it is. We have entered the corporate pandering month. Yes. Of June. Yeah. So this is from this picture for anyone who may be just listening, not watching. This is a picture of uh, in Seattle, Amazon, at Amazon's headquarters. They're having a big pride 
ceremony. And so this is a picture of them hoisting the LGBTQ plus TI whatever flag. It's the new one. It's the rainbow one that then has also these other ugly color triangles. What about Ukraine? There's no Ukraine colors on that one. <laughs> There's no Ukraine. They're there. And they're hoisting this to celebrate pride. And then below them in the foreground, you can see all these people. Now, these are uh, these are like 30 employees from Amazon who are having a die-in. That's where people pretend to be dead. And they're all laying on the ground with transgender flags covering them. And the reason they're doing this, they're protesting pride because they they want Amazon to start banning books that they call transphobic. I mean, let them. Like, God bless. Like, <laughs> enjoy your protest. Enjoy your but, dying. You know, Amazon's there to sell books, and I, I think one. I, I think I did. I saw this, and one of the things that one of the speakers, uh, you know, complained about was Matt Walsh. Uh, Matt Walsh's book um, about being uh, what is it like a a sea lion or something like that? Yeah, walrus. I think it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they were they were complaining that that's one of the books they wanted banned because he's he's actually been selling a lot of those <laughs> because it really rips their argument apart and they can't stand it. Well, that's right. Why. And that's that's the other thing is that the, the the trans ideology specifically can only really exist in a protected bubble where you can't criticize it yeah. because as soon as you start to criticize it or pick it apart. It just it it falls flat on its face. It's like a, it just you can't sustain this these ideas without uh, you know everybody agreeing to lie to themselves and to other people basically. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there was a funny clip too from it was one of the trailers for Matt Walsh's like new uh, I Am a Woman documentary. What is a woman? What is a woman? I haven't seen that because you know I'm we're poor. Uh, but we'll there was the trailer. Yeah. He gets, sits down with the lady from uh, I think she's the dean of me the medical school at Brown University. So this very mm -hmm. prestigious medical school. He sits down with her. She's got blue hair, and she's basically you know not agreeing to define what a woman is you know he says something like but is it does a chicken have gender you know does a chicken you know and she's like well does the chicken commit suicide does a chicken sing and it was just like this weird like total non-conversation because she you know when you start to probe at the ideas and, and that's exactly what he does and he does a very good job of just showing it and then just all falls flat right in front yeah. of yeah they can't they they are so upset with the popularity of his book it's called johnny the walrus johnny the and, walrus yes. um i think also they're targeting abigail shriver's book they have a couple on the list that they really don't want amazon to be selling when i saw this picture it made me think this is a great example of why you don't you don't give them an inch you don't you don't bow to any kind of authoritarian ideology because all you're doing, it's 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 like a, I compared it to gang initiation where you're like, they make you do this horrible thing and you're like, okay, well, I just have to do this one thing and then I'm in the gang. No, no. now you're in the gang. Now they own you. And it's now like, you. yeah, so here you are virtue signaling saying, I'm in the gang. Look, I got the flag. We're in the gang. And they're like, not good enough. Not good <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah. Now you got to ban books for me, you know, or whatever the next thing is. It's like, you've already told them that they own you. So why wouldn't they put their knee on your neck over and over? Like, I, don't, don't yeah. do this. Don't do this. Don't give yeah. in. So That's one of the things Brent and I have also been encountering on Twitter, at least we haven't encountered this in real life, thankfully, is trans men who are now <laughs> identifying as gay men and shaming 
gay men who don't want to sleep with them because they are quote unquote men. And if we don't want to sleep with them, we are transphobic, even though we're gay men, <laughs> you know, which is a very specific thing. You know, we like specific parts. I'll just put it that way. So when you are now shaming gay men into liking the parts that they don't normally like, just because say from the top up, it looks like what we normally like. How is that not homophobia? Well, what they, yeah, what they call transphobia, I call homophobia That's with extra homophobia. steps yeah. because it's now gone all the way around yeah. to where we're back to making fun of yeah. homosexual men for not wanting to do things with, you know, yeah. lady of, parts. With basically. lady parts and vice versa. It's happening to lesbians yeah, as well, true. where they are, they are now being shamed by trans women, mm -hmm. men, into sleeping with them. And if you don't want to take this lady D, then you're transphobic. It's evil. I think it's sick to, to, to treat people that way, to try to pressure us into just being sexually attracted to something Anybody that we're pressuring not. you into like, any kind of sexual activity that you're just not really enthusiastic about is wrong, period. It's no better than me trying to pressure a heterosexual man into being exactly, attracted to me. Exactly. It's just as wrong. Or a straight man trying to pressure a straight woman yes. into sleeping with him. It's yeah. just as wrong. We've established you know? that that's not cool. <laughs> It's so, Can it's I, just, it's crazy, it. man. Let me, let me tell you uh, something I read, this little anecdote that I read in one of these parents of trans kids groups. This was a recent one. The mom was sharing, you know, it's like all these people, it's like a therapy group almost. They're looking for, and they're getting just such bad advice from the other because, because they kick out any parent who doesn't go along with the ideology. Of course, of course they do. Right. So she was sharing, she's like, I just need some support and advice. My son's boyfriend just broke up with him they're 13 or 14 i don't know she's like my son's boyfriend just broke up with him and said it was because his mom found out that my son is trans now let me let me break this down and explain this for anyone who doesn't who's not following along her daughter her <laughs> biological daughter okay who's 13 or 14 and had just decided she's a boy her boyfriend now broke up with her and because the parent found out that, that she's really a boy. Okay. That she's trans. So the mom says, do you, do you think that, that the, this other mother, you think she didn't know her son was gay? And <laughs> Honey, your son is a heterosexual boy. <laughs> And does not want to be with a girl who looks like a boy. It's so funny. It's so funny, right? And then and then all the comments they're like, homophobia is so awful. And they're like, and they're like, it's like, it's not homophobia. Yeah. He was a boy dating a girl. Yeah, and you know, really, you know, really what it was was that the boy that broke up with the girl, you know, you know, he probably told parents, Oh, you know, my girlfriend's gonna be a boy now. <laughs> And they were probably like, you need to oh, oh, raid, raid, raid. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh, sorry. that's okay. Ah. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably told the parents and the parents were like, you need to run and you need to run fast and you need to run far because this is not gonna be good for you. <laughs> yeah, if you're dating someone, if you're a boy dating a girl and then the girl decides, hey, I'm really a boy and I want you to start calling me this name and I'm gonna you know, start going through this transition if you decide this is too much for me, this person's caught up in something I don't, you know, or I, I, I'm going to break, break up. It's not because you're homophobic. There's no, 
gay. The, the, it's a girl. <laughs> and and you changed the contract last yeah. minute. You know, as far as that person was concerned, they got with the girl. And if all of a sudden you changed and the contract has changed, you, you shouldn't be surprised. You know, you broke the agreement. And it's like, what well, this wasn't what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to be with a quote unquote boy. I signed had, up to be with a girl. We so, had a friend, actually, a mutual friend of ours who was dating another, you know, mutual friend. And the man in the relationship decided that he was going to transition and become a trans woman. And she was very supportive this entire time. She was very, you know, 100% on board with the transition, whatever. And lo and behold, you know, like a year and a half goes by and they, they're doing long distance and it comes out that he's been, or she, now, what was he is now she, she's dating another trans woman and their other location, you know, cause they're not, they're not actually together physically. They're separated by a vast amount of space and you know that she just dumps her so it was just like you know it, i felt so bad for for her for our friend because she tried so hard to be supportive to be there to do everything right yeah thought she was you know and then doing she the right was thing just and, disposed of yeah. like you know garbage when you know when somebody else came into the picture wow i think i think there's so many i mean i'm not surprised i'm almost not surprised by anything anymore because uh this sort of once you go down this path of, yeah, my four year old can decide to change their sex and I'm going to support them with medical transition at some point, you know, before they're an adult. Once you go down that path, you're kind of opening things up to just anything goes willy nilly. I, 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 I don't know. I see so much of a uh, this. But you guys are interested in evil, right? The origins of evil. I see so much what I would call narcissism and hedonism and just self-involvement being written off these days as a empowerment and freedom and you know like no boundaries yeah does that make me a conservative that i'm noticing this or um, do, do you feel no. like a conservative sometimes a little bit i mean i show my tits on the internet all the time so <laughs> like some new things but you know i don't hide it like it's not like it's i'm not going to go around and say that it's empowerment man like i know it's a bit of vanity i'm going to own that you know what i mean but i do think there i think this has to do with the social media issue um that it's kind of creating a more narcissistic society by default because now anyone can start their own show and you know it's it's the me show you know you have your own social media you have your own youtube you have your own instagram your tiktok or whatever and you can basically all everyone can give themselves a shot to be the next big celebrity and i think a lot of young folks are all rushing in that direction they don't want right. to do old school jobs anymore they don't want to, they want to be the next influencer they want to be the next, uh, you know, I don't know, fitness model or something. And I get it. I understand. Like, if you're on social media enough, you will start to feel shitty about yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but specifically about relationships, though, yeah. and how you relate with other people. Yeah. Have you noticed this? There seems to be more of this sort of a, uh, there are no boundaries. Anything goes. Uh, like you were talking about your friend who found out his partner was cheating with someone. Uh, there almost even seems to be this inability to even call things as like cheating or that it's wrong or that it, it's, it's like, we're all open here. You know, I'm like, ah, it goes back to the free love movement, honestly. Yeah. This stuff really does go back to what was happening in the sixties and seventies when psychedelics mm -hmm. started to come more onto the scene. And yeah, there was, there was a lot more openness with sexuality. 
Um, some scholars would even trace that further back to, you know, women's liberation as well. So, and this reminds me of, uh, that TikTok recently, there was this woman who was, uh, in a polyamorous, you know, setup, and she was married to one person, but she was dating like two other people. And she made this like little red yarn diagram. She called it a polycule because it looks like a molecule. And this is one of the things I don't really know many poly people. Yeah. I don't know how many of, I don't know what percentage of people are engage in open relationships or polyamorous type setups. In the gay community, it's a high percentage. It's more um, common in the gay community. Open, not so much polyamorous. Polyamorous is where they're all actually all involved. Where they're actively like in, dating in other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I don't, I really don't understand. I that. know a, a, <laughs> quite a few, probably more than average, actually. And, and they're, and they're not, uh, gay couples. It fascinates me because I'm just like, you know, Daniel and I, we've been together for seven years. I guess it's going to be seven years, uh, actually a couple of days. Seven years. When we met. Um, but, you know, our relationship was a lot of work. It was a lot of growth, you know, a lot of mutual sacrifice and give and take and negotiating that. Like, I can't even imagine another person like to do like trying to, to negotiate do at the same with, time yeah. like to be doing that with somebody else well, and then i mean look some people do make it work and I've, I've heard of many cases of people making it work and i don't know my whole thing with this now is just like whatever if you're adults do your freaking god thing. bless and good i luck. mean i might i might look at it and say i don't know that looks like kind of a lot of energy to expend <laughs> And I think just from a strategic, practical point of view, I think monogamy is just more practical. But, you know, I understand people have all types of arrangements. And if you're an adult, you're an adult. My main thing is the kids. You know, as long as we're leaving the kids out of this shit, I don't really even well, There were really no care. kids in that picture. But the other, the other thing was that the, her polycule, her little diagram, it resembled the molecular structure of methamphetamine, yeah, which I found funny. symbolically very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing was when she started the video, she was like, of course, right here in the center is me. I was just like, she's like, obviously me. And it yeah. was just like. It all revolves around it you. It revolves huh? around her. Yeah. Like you can see that element of narcissism. And that's so, narcissism. Like, oh my goodness. So uh, Pirate oh found. This is a polycule. polycule. Yes. <laughs> it, wow. Oh, and it's color sorted. See, the, the green is dating. That's so confusing. Blue is married. I'm confused. Play Looking partners is in red triads i don't know i guess a triad is like oh that's a thruple a thruple okay yeah and then the green is long term wow. what that's how do you have time to have a job this is too complicated they probably don't <laughs> they're probably like there's probably a lot of mutual financial support happening <laughs> or trust funds or something i would imagine what it's, it just seems so like much. you'd be oh so exhausted yeah. So Tim, one of the things Tim Poole has talked about on his show before is how he thinks, you know, we might end up seeing a red wave or just a bigger increase in conservatives over time for the simple fact that the left are having less kids. They're, less of them are engaging in these long-term relationships. Less of them are building families, you know, and, and yeah, more yeah. of them are actually viewing kids as like detrimental to the earth and stuff too that, you know, I, why am I going to have kids now and contribute to the carbon footprint and that sort of thing? So we're, we're seeing more, I think we're going to see a, like a wave of a whole new generation of conservative born kids. I don't know if that means they're going to like, well, the kids are, their kids are already way, becoming but, more conservative yeah. by all the measures. It was for the first time in a long time, they found surveys among the youth. There was more homo homophobia and more resistance to like a lot of the gender, you know, stuff mm -hmm. because the younger kids, 
are, are rebelling against it. And it's, right. it's kind of funny the way that that works. Yeah. It's like one generation's rebellion becomes, becomes the, the establishment, establishment yeah. which sets the next generation up for rebelling yeah. against, against that. that. Yeah. And it's, did you guys like, ever, did you ever read that book, the fourth turning? I know we've talked about it before. Probably. We haven't yet. It's on my oh, okay. very long list. I have to you get it. Like it. Yeah. I haven't got uh, it. He kind of touches on that. Those cycles and you're right. Can We're coming uh, to be one, right? We are coming to the it's end like, of one. Uh, yeah. The late, I think, uh, 20, 2028, I think is the, the end of the, the next one. Yeah. Some, Timmy Poole was talking about oh, it. Yeah. I forgot how many years were in between cycles. 80. Yeah. 80 okay. I, I have to tell you an anecdote. So I've been, uh, well, I'm so, I've, I've been hanging out with some of the locals in um, uh, where we just moved. And there's, there's just this great group of people, like mostly old timers. But there was this one 17 year old I met who's uh, hanging out there having coffee with all the all the old timers and so politically engaged, first of all, good head on his shoulders, was leaving there to go and interview for an internship with some state representative or something, knows he wants to be in politics. And I was like, I'm just curious because you're 17, like what kind of shows do you watch? What do you, it was all alternative news, like this kid. <laughs> Yeah, this kid is like, well, my favorites, I watch a lot of Charlie Kirk and I watch uh, Tim Pool and I watch some uh, Ben Shapiro. Like, you know, he was sort of laying out who he's listening to right now. And I was just thinking, I, I don't know, there's something about him that made me feel, I don't necessarily listen to the same shows or the people who are on the, like Charlie Kirk, I know who he is, but, and this guy's clearly conservative, um, Republican, et cetera. But I just was so like, encouraging that this guy is this young kind of seems like he has his head uh, like in the right place and is figuring out what he thinks about the world and is awake to the dangers of woke ideology that was very clear when we were talking um but i think you're right i think it might be causing some of these kids to 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 come from a more to to ground themselves in a more conservative place as a reaction to what they see as the excesses of woke you know Totally. Yeah. And I, that's actually very heartening to hear that you met a 17 year old that had his head screwed on straight. I'm like, Oh, thank God. Yeah. I've met a couple, but it is rare, you know, but as a sub, I met, you know, a, quite a few brilliant minds and it's weird. You know, sometimes you, you meet a kid and you're just like, how is this kid so like wise beyond their years? And then I meet people who are like in their seventies and it's like, they haven't learned a damn thing. Like, yeah. And it's, you know, I understand like why people have theories of reincarnation and stuff like that too, because it's hard to explain that. It's like, is one an older soul and the other is a younger one, but in an older body, I don't know, you know, but sometimes you meet someone very young and they're just like wise beyond their years, perceptive. They already see all these things that it's like, wow, I wasn't even looking at that until I was in my twenties, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So what, what are you guys what are you guys paying attention to lately? I know you said you're grappling with the nature of evil. Um, what's been on your mind recently? What kind of stuff do you talk about on your channel? So we had Billboard Chris on recently. He oh, was great. Yeah, on your channel before. Um, we talked to him about the gender ideology. Yep. And I think we're going to actually meet up with him when he comes to New York. I think he's going to be coming here for Pride. Yeah. Um, get hit with towards the, end of the towards the end of the month and i think we're going to go out with him and have some fun little shenanigans and talk to people um but yeah. gender ideology be one. safe be safe yeah, well, that's why i was like we're gonna get hit with be, some traffic we'll, we'll be safer, i think in a in a group you know I, the fact that he goes yeah, out there by himself a, a lot kind of like i was like dude like 
by yourself, really? Like, you should really have at least like one other person with you just to like watch your back. But I think the three of us will be fine together. And we might even have, you know, I might be able to get Mikey Harlow to come, you know, through. Oh, cool. Because they're local. Honestly, um, though, we, we, we talk a to a lot of different people and this was one of the things i didn't really get to touch on in the beginning when we were talking about like why we start the show and what we're doing it it you know i never wanted it to be just about politics and i told brent this from the very beginning i always wanted the show to i guess be a little more like joe rogan um in the sense of how diverse his guests are you know he'll he'll talk to mma fighters and then he'll talk to a, a author right of mm -hmm. a history author and then he'll talk to like graham hancock and then he'll you know, he's very diverse and that's how we are too. Like we're sitting in a library right now. You can't see it, but there's probably like 2000 books around us. And we have a very voracious interest in a lot of different things. So I would have felt like we were limiting ourselves if we just talked about like one or two different topics, like the trans stuff or a race mm -hmm. in the country or the woke stuff. So we also talk to musicians, you know, and we talk to artists. We, you know, we talk to people about philosophy. We're willing to talk about comparative religion and aliens and, and all that stuff. Consciousness. We don't, we don't just want to look at like politics, you know, and as important as politics <laughs> is, we obviously have to look at politics and we have to pay attention to it. Right. And even those who don't pay attention to it, that is still a political decision. Um, it is not all there is to everything. Um, what I agree. About culture. What about you know, the spirituality, what about, you know, these deeper aspects that really make life worth living? And we want to talk about those we things. We really too, like so. talking about the paranormal. Too. Yeah, we, this, we, that stuff interests Weird us. stuff. Like, mysterious things Same. that are out there, you know, that we don't quite understand. Love yet, talking so. to people that are like censored or shadow banned. Um, we have Dr. Mark, Mark Changizi yeah. on uh, twice, who is probably the most shadow banned person so who's still banned. allowed on the platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, if you go to, they treat him like a porn star. Yeah. So if you go to his Twitter, everything, you can't even find his Twitter unless you type it in correctly. It's, it's Mark Changizi. It's uh, his name is like C-H-A-N-G-I-Z-I. -I. And if you, it won't autofill, like, you know, on Twitter, how you normally like search for somebody, like thing it shows it up and click search. And yeah. then when you show up, it'll be like, are you sure you want to see this profile? And then you have to click. Wow. Yes. And then yeah. all of his links, every th time he links something, it's labeled as sensitive content yeah. and that can't be undone. So he's behind a click wall. You have to click just to see his post. You have to click to see his yeah. post. You have to click to see his post. Then you have to click to un to uncover. His what did this guy do that made him so dangerous? He spoke out against the lockdowns. The lockdowns, masks, and the shots. And he he's a, a scientist. He's a, a neuroscientist. Actually, he studies the brain in particular. And he has a new book coming out called Expressly Human, which we talked about on the show. And it's all about um, how humans use facial expressions to communicate our internal states and how that is important, you know, for our socialization. And I guess part of it too is how, how the masks affected that. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Pirate just said he got it with a block warning in the chat. Yeah. Oh, he got it with a block warning. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. Yep. You can see it totally like, yeah. so, oh, so. you can see, look, yeah. Pirate has it on screen. So we're going to, we're going to do him a huge one right now. And everyone watching this, you know, if you're seeing this, please go follow Mark Changizi. Go check out his work. This guy is so awesome. He's so funny. He's so brilliant and very handsome. He's based. He is based. <laughs> he's, he's in a new company too. They just made these sun, these sunglasses that 
like are designed to enhance your contrast so that you can see the flush under the skin a little bit better. So it makes the contrast when somebody's face is flushed or when there's blood under the skin, you can see it a lot more easier. So it has like a dual purpose of not only helping you like read people's emotional states visually, but uh, nurses and phlebotomists, if they're trying to draw blood, it can enhance their ability to, to see the vein. So you can read emotions. You can be an so X-Men. Plug his product for free. Sure. Wow, that's amazing. If yeah, you had, if you were wearing those glasses when Amber Heard gave her testimony, you would see that. <laughs> you would see that her face was not flushed oh when God. she was. Yeah, that'd be so good. Um, we also chatted with Adam B. Coleman recently. Um, oh yeah. And we have, I guess, you to thank for that because that was how we heard of him was through your channel. And a friend of ours uh, reads the New York Post often he gets the physical copies and he took a picture of what i'm at one of adam's op-eds and he posted it on his facebook and he tagged me and brent in it and i was like oh i know that guy he was on our friend carrie's show oh, yeah yeah so you know i tagged him and then that was how we you know started talking and then i invited him on and he came on so we discussed his new book we talked about the racial issues in the country and the, the victim mentality especially was so you guys do a lot of interviews you also do um like focus topical shows. Yeah, or, I would say it's a yeah. mix. Well, uh, we, so we we changed from we we started with just me and Dan sort yeah. of talking about topics, and we started just including guests. And then once we started including guests, we basically now always have a guest. Yeah, it's just guests. So sometimes yeah. we do what we will focus on like a particular topic, but a lot of times it's like we focus on the topic that's appropriate for the guest. Yeah, but so, we we do like to let the conversations kind of evolve naturally. Like I'll have usually a plan or I'll scribble down like a question or two that I know I want to make sure I remember to touch on, but I very much like to let the conversations just unfold in as natural of a way as possible. And it depends on the guests, you know, some guests will bring on and we're going to do more of an interview type thing and really try to get to know them. So ask them things. And then other times it's just, it's more relaxed. It's more just a, a conversation, a discussion. And it depends too if they've come on before. So we've had a few repeat guests. So if Did we have a first time interview, second time, it'll probably be more of like a long form just chat. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Did you end up getting to speak to Nina Infinity? I think you did, right? Yeah. Did. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. yeah. She was great. She was great. She's a lot of fun. I think uh, we're booked to go on her stream uh, in like two weeks. Thanks, two awesome. Weeks. I yeah. knew you guys would like each other. Yeah, we actually, oh, we vibed with her, it's yeah. funny because we knew each other from like a long time ago. We were on this mutual forum that we were, you know, they talk oh, about wow. paranormal forums. Small so world. Yeah, it's funny. We're like, yeah. oh, it's like, you're from yeah. that. It's funny. She like, how, yeah. how funny. Um, well, thank you guys for hanging out with us today and um, tell people where they can find you, where they can find your show here on YouTube. And I know Pirates put it in the chat. Uh, the, the show is Dangerous Rhetoric. It comes up if, on Google if you just search for it. It's just Dangerous Space Rhetoric. Um, Pirates got all the links to all the things. Yeah, we're so. on Twitter. We're on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok. So if you're on TikTok and you want to see me in drag makeup with doing funny voices. Yeah, Brent does some weird TikToks. Uh, you can follow me at Dangerous <laughs> Rhetoric on TikTok. I, I'm not on it. I don't have it on my phone yet. But I guess I'll get it eventually and and log into the dr page and i'll do some tiktoks too but it's just i can't keep up with all the social media it's too much also my my personal account I've, i'm on my third personal twitter account now yeah my, they keep nuking brent i i have my oh, first yeah. one i had around two thousand followers that got nuked and then my second one i got locked out because 
somebody reported a tweet I made where I was, you know, breaking down the the misinformation about the Texas shooter. They were saying that it's the Texas shooter was a trans person, and there were these pictures. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not that's not the same person. Different person. So I yeah. put four of the pictures side by side, two of the actual shooter, and then the two that were circulating. And I was like, these aren't the same person. Somebody reported that tweet, and it locked me out. I was like, this is wrong. So I went to appeal the report. And at, at the last page of the appeal where you click finish, I can't actually click finish. It's like I'm, I can just spam the finish button and nothing happens. Wow. So I had to appeal through their website and you don't get any confirmation. They've received the appeal. You don't get any notification or of anything. So I had no idea what happened. So now my new account is at Kapopolis. Uh, okay. I'll put that in the chat. It's kind yeah. of hard to spell. I can't believe. I mean, I can. I've seen everything. But uh, it's, what you you were clearing up misinformation. I also saw that going out at the beginning of people in some people were messaging me about it saying, Oh, it's trans shooter. And it's like, no, that's not the, those pictures you're using are someone else entirely. It's not true. Don't fall for everything that somebody sends you. Yeah. You know, you're just punished, trying to clear that up. Punished right. for clearing it up. It's, it's not well, so there were, it's crazy. the people. So the, the guy that was speaking on the subject that I was responding to was using some rather insensitive, I would say, language, inflammatory language, derogatory, perhaps, towards trans people. And it's funny because I often get accused of transphobia for various reasons of just, you know, maintaining object objectivity, uh, objectivity and trying mm -hmm. to be rational and reasonable. But here I was like trying to clear up the situation and like, you know, actually defend the trans community. And they were like, nope, reported. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, we're on Instagram too, guys, at Dangerous he Rhetoric. Put, uh, he put the Instagram yeah, yeah. to Twitter. So, okay. Uh, main, main thing though is just the website, you know, if you remember dangerousrhetoric.com, if we ever like vanish off YouTube or vanish off Twitter or any of these places, you could always go on the website and you can find a way to contact us. Everything's backed up on Rubble. Everything's backed up on Rubble. So all the episodes, we, we list them on there. And Spotify. Well. We're also yeah. on Spotify. And and my books, you know, if anyone wants to check out my poetry, um, it's a weird mix of things. Some of it is very mystical. A lot of it's very mystical, spiritual, symbolic, and then some of it is very raw and gritty. Um, my latest book is called The Manhattan Poems. It came out in 2020. Kind of reflects a bit on pre-lockdown New York and then a little bit on very early post-lockdown New York and kind of makes a bit of predictions of what I thought was going to unfold in the country, which turned out to be true. You know, the city very much has taken a hit. So check yeah. out my poems if that interests anyone. Well. I'm very glad to learn that you do poetry. I will check it out. I'm I'm so envious of people who have that way of it's like music. It's not it surprising is. you do both. You do music yeah. and poetry. And yeah. painting. And painting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, painting is actually my main thing right now. That's like the main oh, thing. Um I'll pull up uh really quick. I'll show you the yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I dropped Daniel's uh Amazon page in the chat. Cool. So Thank you. While he's gone, <coughs> I'll tell you, because I forgot to do announcements at the beginning. Again, if you like the show, please hit like and subscribe. We have a uh, Patreon. We have a subscribe star and a locals. Um, and June 10th, if you're in the Austin area, I'm going to be at a panel with uh, Megan Murphy. Uh, oh, Posey cool. Park. Yeah, Posey Parker is coming in for it. Um, uh, Mary Lou Singleton and Michelle Evans. And that's going to be at the Austin like Pub. Kelly, Kellyanne Jean now or something? Kelly, uh, Kelly J. Keene or Jean. Posey Parker. Yeah. It's going to be June 10th on a Friday at the Austin Public Library. And if you're in the Ooh, Texas her. area, really come her. out because they are trying to get the library to cancel our show um, or our panel. And uh, 
I don't think that's going to happen, but it would be nice to have a good showing of support in case they protest or something. They'll anyway. try it for sure. But yeah, so this is that's my it. latest piece that see. I'm working on. It's not done yet. Oh, wow. What are you painting? Oil. Oil. Yeah. yeah, so this is called oh. the Garden of the Rose. It's not quite finished yet. It's really hard to see. But... Oh, it's nice. It's a bit of a glare, but it's fine. Yeah. Is that very cathartic? It is. Um, they they take a while. I paint in layers, so it's definitely a process. You know, I'll put a layer on, let it dry, come back, put the next layer on. Um, I don't do like a la prima like Bob Ross does. It takes me a while for them. Yeah, I would say it is cathartic. Um, actually, I would say the, the deepest, most important aspects of who I am and almost transcendent, you know, and my connection to God and the universe, that's what comes out in my paintings. Mm. Um, things that I, I don't even know how to put into words anymore. And that was kind of why I went back into painting too, is, you know, doing poetry for a while. After, I think it was my second book, especially, I really started to feel like words were kind of failing me in trying to articulate things about God and, you know, oneness of all things like I, I was just like i can't say this shit in words anymore like how do i portray it and that was you know that was what's the name of the, the one in the hallway the big one the nature of consciousness oh, silent treaties on the nature of the soul yeah that's one of my well, what's the name of this one with the rose this one and the working title is garden of the rose but i don't know if i'm going to keep that title i might change it to something else yeah. Yeah. do you know are you a fan of kate bush yeah yeah uh do you know that song of hers under the ivy not quite sure. Uh, I haven't delved deeply into her discography, but me and my friend Antonio had a bit of a phase where we got got kind of into Kate Bush and her music. We love her quirky, weird-ass music videos. She's but. weird, yeah. You should listen to Under the Ivy. There's a okay, line in there about the red rose. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, um, well, she, she was like into Gurdjieff and stuff too, who's like this mystical philosopher that we're also very into. So Kate Bush was was unusual under the ivy cape the ivy it's a really good it's probably my favorite song of hers more than running up that hill although i really like that song too running up that hill great song <laughs> yeah yeah you guys i want to hang out with you again yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna do this uh well i'll tell you off off we're gonna do a party show and I would love for you to come to the party. I'll let you know when it is. Let us know. And if you're ever in Manhattan, you know, let mm -hmm. us know. We'd love to have you by. We could do something. Maybe we'll shoot an in-person show or something like that. That would be fun. That would be so fun. Actually, I'm, I think I'm going to be there um, for the Minds thing that's happening on June 25th. Oh, oh yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't get tickets yet because oh. of the financial situation. Oh. I thought you did get tickets. <laughs> but I, 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 <laughs> Carrie, get yeah. us in. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, yeah. June 25th at the Beacon Theater. Yeah. It's a bunch of uh, yeah. great people speaking. And great I'm, theater, too. Yeah. We saw I'm George supposed Peterson. to be there. We saw Peterson yeah. there back in, I think, 2017, 2018. He spoke there on his tour. Yeah. Well, yeah. also, if you, if you need accommodations, too, we have guest room. Yeah. We can put you Thank up. Thank you. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you after. You guys have a great weekend. Have you a good know, Friday. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you for for everybody for showing up. Yeah, everyone who watched, we really appreciate it. Go sub. Go like, check the show out. We need the support. So go check them out. <laughs> go check out the poetry. Thanks, you guys, for hanging out. I hope you have a good weekend. Awesome. You too. Thanks, Carrie. Okay. Yeah. Let's roll this video. Boom.